Hello, JB. Welcome back. How are hey, you? Kim. Oh, it's great to be back. Uh, you're my favorite Floridian. So I hope the things are well there in the great state of Florida. They are beautiful as always until summer hits on Friday. So from now, Friday until, I don't know, October, it'll be 90 plus every day. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. And so what that also means is the water is getting warmer and then maybe we'll have some hurricanes. So we'll see what happens, but it's beautiful. All right. So today I kind of gave a little brief introduction uh, as to why you're here today. And we're going to be, this was my mug, by the way, because this is how I feel like sometimes when we hear false doctrine, <laughs> Shh, no one cares because I do not care about <laughs> what you're saying that's wrong. So what we're going to talk about today, uh, we're going to glean from some of the stuff that's in your book. And then I also, uh, I really didn't send show notes this week, but on some of the other topics of discussion. And my question to the people listening to this premiere this week, JB, was would they know, really know well, what their pastor's saying is true or false? Like, would they actually hear it, you know, and be like, well, that doesn't sound like a social justice gospel or that, did Jesus really go to hell? And no better person to have on than you. Yeah. Well, that's really our driving passion and has been my passion for uh, for 35 years almost now. And um, if if you'd like, I'd love to share a story of kind of what got me interested in the clarity of the gospel, because it was just totally the Lord. You know, I grew up in a Christian home and uh, was saved at the age of six. Um, but like a lot of believers, I never really uh, had my senses tuned in to recognize subtle false gospels or, you know, sloppily worded gospels. I just knew that Jesus was my savior and I had trusted in him as a child to, you know, to give me the gift of eternal life. Well, I graduated from college and was headed off to seminary. God opened the door for me to go to Dallas Seminary. And at the time I had been at a, my high school and college years, I had been at a large Southern Baptist church. And uh, in fact, they just celebrated their 50th uh, anniversary as a church. And my wow. folks still live in Houston and they went to that. But uh, anyway, I told one of the staff members there it was a large church and I told him I was going to Dallas and uh, he he was critical of the seminary. And he said, well, you know, they, they teach this cheap grace stuff. And so he, he gave me a book uh, uh, that I read uh, by John MacArthur. Uh, I went up to school, uh, got there a month early before the first uh, day of classes at uh, seminary. And I was working at a warehouse loading trucks and I would come home in the evening in my uh, uh, dorm room there and just read that book. And I began to realize that there's a lot of misinformation and mistakes out there about the gospel. And it just sort of piqued an interest in me. And so from before I ever took my first class at Dallas Seminary, I was hooked. And so I went to every brown bag lunch, every special you know speaker on campus, any special elective courses I could take. I just wanted to find out what precisely someone has to believe about Jesus in order to have eternal life. And so that became my driving passion. I ended up, uh, after I got my master's at Dallas, the Lord years later led me into academics and I ended up getting a PhD. And that's what I did my PhD in is mm. uh, the clarity of the gospel. In fact, mm -hmm. the book that you see behind me there on my uh, shoulder it was my PhD dissertation originally, some uh, nearly 20 years ago now. Uh, it became my first book that I ever wrote. Uh, we kind of recast it and took out a lot of the academic stuff and, and turned it into a book. And so uh, it's called Getting the Gospel Wrong, the Evangelical Crisis No One is Talking About. And mm -hmm. to your point, Kim, 
the real the subtitle there is really the key to the book. It's it's I, I go into six prevalent false gospels, but my my burden throughout the book is the fact that the average believer doesn't even notice a difference. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I would speak at conferences. We've been, you know, traveling and speaking for many years with our ministry. And uh, I would share the stage with people of different backgrounds. And it, it would be a prophecy conference or some other type of a men's conference, let's say. And, you know, these speakers would go out there and they'd speak and they'd, at the end of their message, they'd share the gospel. And, and I would be listening from the green room and I'd think, man, this is, uh, this is not good. But yet the whole audience would just clap and cheer. And then the next speaker would come on and they'd present some form of the gospel that was at face value diabolically opposed diametrically i should say opposed to the previous guy's gospel and yet the audience would still blindly clap and say amen and they just didn't and i'm thinking are they not listening you know they can't both be right uh and so anyway it just really uh, solidified in me a passion uh that has become uh, the passion of not by works, which we started in 1999, and that is the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel message. Amen. So let me piggyback off of what you just said about the two different gospels, because that actually led in perfectly, and we don't have show notes. So let's start then first with the puzzling gospel of the Crusades that you had mentioned, and yeah. I thought that was very interesting, and. I, I'm not going to put my opinion about that out here today, um, but I, I'm on the fence with some of those, right? Because to your point, on these crusades, there's not just that one speaker. There's many speakers sometimes, and each time you're hearing someone, they're bringing something different as well. And also the music kind of infiltrates a lot of these crusades. So why don't you talk about that real quick? Yeah, so when you say crusades, of course, you're talking about the big evangelistic revivals and big mm -hmm. stadium-type crusades where an evangelist comes in and the sole purpose is you know, for people to bring their lost friends and hopefully they'll hear a gospel and, and be saved. Or like tents, they... you know, like in under the yeah, big tent, yeah. they'll just pop up a tent somewhere and all of a sure. sudden... There's a yeah, lot the of old music tent revivals. Yeah, mm -hmm. very common uh, back in the day, and and which people still do them now. But you know, the, and and typically they'd have some form of altar call where they're calling people to a decision. Which, you know, in and of itself, I don't necessarily have a problem with altar calls. The problem is most of the time they're not articulating a clear gospel, so people mm -hmm. are flooding the aisles to do something that they think is going to get them into heaven, but it, it really isn't. Uh, right. So that's that you have to be careful about that. But, uh, but yeah, I think. Uh, you know, the puzzling gospel, Kim, is to me the one that we want to be the most gracious about because it's, you know, everybody, and, I, and I'm a perfect example of this until I really started looking into it. You know, I would use phrases early on, uh, you know, in, in my Christian life because I was active in Christian ministry even before I graduated from high school. I was president of our uh, Christian club on campus. It was called Cougars for Christ. And we would have a hundred kids. We meet once a month. I mean, once a week on, in the morning before class. And I would be the one leading the, the group and the devotional. And so I look back on some of that and I would use phrases like give your life to Jesus or invite Jesus into your heart or, you know, uh, surrender your life to him. And, you know, those type of colloquialisms that the, the American evangelical church has uh, sadly adopted. And, and those are confusing. They're not clear. The Bible never uses that language. And, and so I call that the puzzling gospel. That's one of the six uh, false gospels. And when I come across that, you know, what I've learned after 35 years of ministry is often if you'll graciously just have a conversation with the person that's, that's articulating the gospel that way, 
many times they'll go, oh, I, I never really thought about that or, or good point or let me look, let me think about that. Uh, so we don't want to come out with both barrels, you know, and, and so oh, you're a heretic because you're not using the biblical terminology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, we, we make some converts that way. Converts meaning people that will begin to, to place value in the clarity of uh, the gospel. So the puzzling gospel deals more with the clarity. Some of these other false gospels are just out and out inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just that they're using unclear language. They're, they're actually, you know, it's false gospels. Mm-hmm. So that's why at Not By Works Ministries, you know, our core value has been from the beginning, the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel. You can be correct on your view of the gospel, but not share it clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can also be false in your view of the gospel and share it very clearly, but it's mm-hmm. just false. So right. it's clarity and accuracy. And then, of course, urgency is that third component, which is that, you know, today is the day of salvation. We're not promised tomorrow. And people need to recognize that that this is this is an important matter. It's a matter of eternal destiny. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I'm just going to kind of go down the line of what I have written here on my post-it notes. I have a tendency to call it a posty note, like a toasty posty. <laughs> but um, so my post-it note, did I pronunciate that properly? All right. So let's talk about this one that really aggravates me. When people say that Jesus lost his divine nature and one particular person comes to mind when I hear this and that is Bill Johnson. He says it more often than I would like to say, not only from the pulpit, but also 95% of his books are riddled with this terrible theology. So explain what that means when someone says that Jesus lost his divine nature. Yeah, so in order to be saved, let, let's start with what the gospel is in its simplicity. And the gospel is so simple, a child can understand it. That's why mm-hmm. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. And in fact, uh, studies show that most people who believe the gospel unto eternal life do so at a young age, because the older we get, the more prideful we get, and the more we think we can figure it out, and we don't need uh, salvation, we're good enough, and so forth. So uh, a child understands what it means to believe. They understand faith because their whole life is about faith. They're trusting their parents or their home or, you know, whatever for everything they need. So when you come across, come up to a child and you explain to them that they're a sinner, which usually doesn't take much convincing because, you know, most children understand they've done things wrong. And then you explain to them that the penalty for that sin is eternal uh, life in a literal place of torment called hell. And then you explain to them that God, the creator of the universe, sent his eternal son to the earth to pay that penalty on you know, little Billy or little Susie's behalf. And that if, and then he, he defeated death by rising from the dead. He's no longer dead. And if you'll place your faith in this risen man, Jesus Christ, the son of God, he will give you forgiveness and eternal life. And a child goes, wow, that, that's what I need. That's what I want. And if all I, if all I have to do is trust in him, I'll do it. And yeah. so that the gospel is simply believing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died and rose again to pay your personal penalty for sins. Now, I'm sure we're going to get into in our discussion tonight all the different, you know, false things associated with the gospel that some people might be thinking right now. They might be thinking, oh, well, well, don't you have to give up something? Don't you have to do something? Don't you have to bring something to the table? Well, the short answer up front is no. <laughs> Salvation <laughs> is a one-way street. It's not a bilateral contract between you and God. It's a unilateral gift. There's one giver, one receiver. And like all gifts, 
Uh, if you had to do something to get it, it's not a gift. It becomes a contract. So it is truly a gift, and you simply receive it. And the mechanism for receiving it is faith more than 160 times in the New Testament. In fact, in the back of that book, Getting the Gospel Wrong, I have an appendix that lists all these, and it's more than 160 of them, verses that say you know, the, that you're, you get eternal life simply by faith. So we don't want to add anything to the one condition of eternal life, which is the mechanism of receiving the gift. Now, back to your question. In order to believe the gospel unto eternal life, you have to place your faith in the correct Jesus. Mm, you know, yeah. it's not any old Jesus will do. It's not some mm -hmm. guy named Jesus down in, you know, <laughs> Mexico. It's right. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again to pay our personal penalty for sin. And so if you uh, do not believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he's just like any other man, that he set aside his divinity and he's just fully human, mm -hmm. well, then another fully human you know, being can't save you. It's got to be someone who is sinless and all humans are sinful, mm -hmm. but that's what makes Jesus unique. He, it's called the hypostatic union. Now, obviously a young child or someone getting saved might not understand all the theology and the theological terms, but, you know, as a theologian, that's, that's the term for it. It's hypostatic union, meaning Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. If he was only God, he couldn't have paid the price because the sacrifice has to be chosen among men. It was a human sinfulness that required a human sacrifice to pay the debt. So, so if he was only fully God, he couldn't have done it. If he was only fully human, you know, as this Johnson says, mm -hmm. uh, you know, setting aside his divinity, he couldn't have done it because then he would be sinful. Mm -hmm. But he was the God man. And I think even a child can understand the simple fact that Jesus is unlike any other person on earth. Uh, for one thing, he once was dead, now he's alive. I mean, that gets your attention right there. Uh, but uh, they may not have a fully developed you know, deity of Christ or doctrine of Christology, but they can understand in simple terms what the good news of the gospel is, that, G that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he came into the world from the eternal realm of heaven uh, he is eternal. He didn't come into existence in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. He simply put on, you know, human flesh. And so uh, I think that's the problem with that gospel. Any gospel that calls upon people to believe in a Jesus other than, you know, the Jesus of the Bible uh, is, you know, is a problem. Um, in fact, uh, I was going to go to a passage here uh, in Second Corinthians um uh, chapter uh let me see if i can look this up uh that's actually where i was at when i yeah, opened Corinthians chapter 11 okay um you know he's he says satan himself verse 14 Lord, Lord. transforms okay. himself mm. into an angel of light mm -hmm. um and what's interesting and i just talked about this coincidentally enough uh, last night at prophecy night uh, not by works does a prophecy night every tuesday night um, and it's just just a wonderful uh, time but i was talking about how two of the world's largest false religions uh, were based upon a, a, a fallen angel teaching them a false gospel you know mm -hmm. uh, 
Mormonism with, uh, you know, Joseph Smith and the angel Moroni, and then uh, Islam as well. Muhammad spent several months in a cave and it was visited by, you know, fallen angels. And they, and both of them produced a, a non-authoritative Bible of their own, the Book of Mormon and the, the Quran. And uh, so, you know, essentially, if you are believing in another Jesus, you know, you are not believing the gospel. And that's why Paul famously said in the very first letter that he ever wrote in Galatians 1, that even if we or an angel from a heaven preach a gospel to you other than what we preach to you, let him be accursed, meaning come under strict judgment. So, uh, yeah, that first uh, gospel uh, that you talked about there, that first example, uh, they're calling on people to believe in another Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. Correct. So then would you, without putting you on the spot then, would you say that um, in light of someone who says that, that they would be classified as a false teacher? Yeah, I wouldn't say that, but the Bible says that. It's not me. I I agree with the Bible on that one. Mm -hmm. If you're preaching a false gospel, that makes you a false teacher. Mm -hmm. Now, we all at times, you know, say things that we later come to realize were not accurate. You know, theology is a lifelong process mm-hmm. as a, a formal systematic theologian uh, whose you know, degree is in that, degrees are in that, and who's, who, who spent some time teaching that formally in, in the academy. Uh, I can tell you that, you know, over my lifetime already, I've, I've modified views as I continue to come back to the Word of God again and again, and the Spirit of God shows me I misunderstood this or I didn't connect the dots right. So it's a lifelong process. You never arrive this side of heaven. So it's one thing if a person, you know, going back to that puzzling gospel, if they articulate the gospel in its language that they really haven't thought through the implications of it. The biggest one, for example, is people frequently say, you know, give your life to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get saved. Well, in reality, the Bible never says that. In fact, it says just the opposite. There's one giver and one receiver in the salvation equation. God is the giver. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but has everlasting life. And there's one receiver, John 1, 12, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. So we're the recipients, not the givers. Nobody gets to heaven because you give something to God. We don't have anything to give him. So, but again, I don't want to be harsh because many people, it just flows naturally. They talk about, you know, I was eight years old when I gave my life to Christ. And, and, and what they probably mean by that is when they realized that their only hope of salvation mm. was to trust Jesus Christ with their life mm-hmm. and to say that, you know, here only you can save me from the penalty of sin. But still, why not use the biblical language? I mean, if there's one thing that the Bible is clear about, it's the gospel. And, you know, it doesn't need our help in clarifying what God, the creator of the universe, communicated to us from beginning to end. You know, you go back to Genesis 15. Abraham believed God and was justified, was you know, accredited as righteous before a holy God. And that's the only way anyone is ever justified is by faith. So, yeah, I think, you know, going back to your question about a false teacher, I think a person might uh, inadvertently or, un, you know, uncritically, maybe they've not thought through it, say something false, mm-hmm. and it doesn't make them characteristically a false teacher, Correct. so long as when they are, uh, you know, called on it, 
Mm-hmm. They repent and they realize, oh yeah, you know what? Now that you now that I think about it, I need to clarify that. But if they dig their heels in and continue to promote that type of false gospel, then there's no other term for them. Absolutely, and that kind of le- leads really perfectly into the whole Jesus went to hell theology. And and the reason I get there, JB, is what you just said. So um, there are people who may read when it says that Jesus went to, you know, the lower parts of the earth. So I could see that like a new believer reading that and they're like, oh, Jesus went to hell. So I can see not understanding it. But when they say it over and over and over and over again, I mean, a prime example would be Jesse Duplantis and Kenneth Copeland. I don't even know what kind of theology those two guys have, but they just need to stop. Um And when they are called out, of course, and they block you or do whatever. So how would you, because reading that passage about Jesus descended to the lower parts, how would you dissect that then? Because no, Jesus did not go to hell. He went to the good side, Abraham's bosom. So can you kind of explain what that gospel is about? Yeah, so I think it's a very simple misunderstanding of of that passage there in Ephesians 4 when when you know Christ, when Paul says Christ ascended into heaven, but first he descended into the lower parts of the earth, he's talking about the earth, mm-hmm. not inside the earth. In English, it sounds like he's talking about the lower parts inside the earth, i.e. the grave, which is where people get that from that English translation. But in the Greek, it's the genitive of possession, meaning the earth uh, you know, is the lower part. Mm-hmm. So, he, you know, it's, it's a contrast between being at the right hand of God. First, he came down to the earth and he paid the penalty for all mankind. And you see that theological theme again and again in Scripture that, mm-hmm. you know, he, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, even in the birth announcements in, in Luke chapter one with the, the first, uh, you know, Christmas carols of, you know, Simeon and Zechariah and Mary's song. They're all talking about here. He's coming to redeem his people and to save his people from their sins. And so uh, I think uh, that's all that that's talking about there. Um, you know, I, 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 there are people that, you know, really build a, an entire theology around that and even some dispensationalists. And, you know, I respect their understanding of that, but I don't, I don't hold to it. I don't think that Jesus during the three days that he was in the grave was gallivanting around in the Netherlands, harnessing Mm -hmm. people and setting them free from some type of of prison. I just, I just don't agree with that. Correct. I remember a long time ago when I heard uh, Joyce Myers actually talk about this, but she went into such a deep, dark place. I don't know if you ever heard that. And she was like, Oh, the demons, they were stomping on him. And I'm thinking, what the heck? I mean, to me, that's taking that passage to the extreme, but I don't want to talk about Joyce because I can stay on her for quite some time. Yeah. So um, a long time ago, there was this amazing book, and I'm being facetious when I say that, that came out, and it was called The Purpose Driven Life. Have you ever heard of that book? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, because it's so not popular. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, uh, I remember when it came out, I was in full-time academics at the time. And a funny story, I uh, I wrote a journal article that was published, I believe, in the Journal of Ministry and Theology. I was writing for several journals back then, just submitting articles. And um, But uh, anyway, it was a critique of, of The Purpose Driven mm-hmm. Life by uh, Rick Warren. And uh, after the journal came out, uh, I was summoned to the president's office of our school. And uh, it was a fairly large Bible college. Um, uh, and 
anyway, I was, I was, my role there was not only a full-time theology professor, but I was director of baccalaureate programs, assistant academic dean, and, and, and I was over several departments. But anyway, I interacted with the president, you know, quite often on the administrative side. But anyway, he summoned me up to his office and, you know, I sat down in front of his desk and I'll never forget, he kind of leaned back and he kind of tossed, not in a negative way or arrogant way of earning mm-hmm. company, just tossed the printout of the journal article that he had read. And he goes, now, JB, I read your article. And this is a direct quote. I would be loath to criticize someone whom God has used as powerfully as Rick Warren. <laughs> and so uh, I, I had a relationship with the president that gave me the freedom to push back at times. Uh, ultimately, it cost me my my job there. I ended up moving on to another, to a seminary once I got my wow. PhD. But anyway, I just said, uh, well, Dr. So-and-so, I won't mention his name. He's no longer there. He's been gone for a long, long time. But mm-hmm. uh, I said, well, Dr. So-and-so, I said, I don't really care who the person is. If they're preaching a false gospel, I'm, I'm going to call them out. And mm-hmm. so in that book, he, uh, Rick Warren, for those who don't know, I think it's, I forget what chapter it is, but he lists like seven things that a person has to do in order to, to be saved. Mm-hmm. And they're all unbiblical. There's only one thing a person has to do to be saved, and that's receive the free gift of eternal life by faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not forced on you. You know, contrary to the Calvinist view, you don't. You know, you you do have a choice. You can believe the gospel or you can reject it. Forced love is no love at all. A forced gift is no gift at all. If I force you to take a gift, that's not, you know, a gift. That's a compulsion. That's a coercion. And God doesn't operate coercively. He offer, you know, he operates, uh, you know, operates uh, graciously. And so, uh, you do have to receive the gift. That's for sure. And you do that by believing in Jesus. But um, other than that, there are no other requirements. And so, yeah, I was highly critical. You can probably still find that article out there. Uh, mm, I yeah, would uh, love to read it. Yeah, shoot me an email after the show, and I'll uh, I'll I'll find it and send it to you. It's your first battle with censorship. That was yeah. There you go. Before YouTube even existed, JB yeah. was ruffling feathers. Little did I know, you know. Right. So in your book that we are talking about tonight, getting the gospel wrong, um, what is the pluralistic view? Yeah. So the pluralistic gospel is a gospel that suggests that uh, there are multiple ways to heaven, and that. So you mean? Wait, I hate to interrupt you. So Oprah is wrong. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I did not For know that. For a variety of reasons. Sorry. But uh, mm. we weren't going to be talking about Satan worship. But anyway, um, enough about Oprah. No, no spirit of the Antichrist, no yeah. Luciferian. You can go <laughs> yeah. ahead and put up that link right now, Sandra. That's yeah. a little shameless spirit, plug right there. Spirit of the Antichrist, my two latest <laughs> books. Yeah, we've talked a lot about those. Um, but, uh, but And by the way, folks can go to spiritoftheantichrist.org if they want to learn more about those books. But we're talking about getting the gospel We're good wrong. at doing and, this, Sandra, can't you yeah. tell? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the pluralist gospel basically says, you know, you say Allah, I say God, we're all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's multiple pathways to heaven, as long as you believe in something. Mm-hmm. And I have some pretty powerful anecdotal data in my book in that chapter, Getting the Gospel Wrong of some people that you might be surprised who espoused uh, very publicly a pluralistic view of the gospel that said, for example, that, you know, Muslims who are pretty sincere, you know, God wouldn't send them to hell. And even if they've never heard about Jesus and never placed their faith in him, you know, he'll overlook that and he'll let them in because they were sincere people. Well, the problem is 
it's not the sincerity of your faith that saves you. In fact, not to get too much down in the weeds, but all faith is sincere. I mean, that's the definition of faith. If you look it up lexically, faith means uh, the, the noun is pistis. The verb is pistuo. Uh, it means confidence or assurance. So uh, a child's belief in Santa Claus is real faith. It's just in the wrong object. It's not going to get you to heaven. You know, when you believe something, you believe it. Uh, you don't have to really, really, really believe it or really, 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 really believe it. Faith is just confidence or assurance. Now, if we aren't sure about something, you know, that by definition is a lack of faith. We don't know. Right. So with any proposition, there are really three options, which ultimately become only two. But you can either say, I believe it. I don't believe it. Or I haven't made up my mind yet, which if you haven't made up your mind yet, that means you haven't believed it. So right. default is disbelief. Mm -hmm. until you, uh, you know, believe it. In fact, let's go to John, uh, let's see, I think it's 524, no, John uh, 824, John 824. Uh, Jesus says, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And in John 336, Jesus said, well, I can't get my fingers to work. Uh, or not Jesus, but in that pa in that same context there, the uh, Apostle John writes after Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. So mm -hmm. again, with any proposition, ultimately there are two options, unbelief or belief. If you say, well, I'm still thinking about it. Okay, fair enough. But that just means you're in unbelief right now. Mm -hmm. And hopefully someday you'll transfer over to belief. So faith isn't a matter of sincerity. So it's a matter of have you believed the right object? And a Muslim's sincere faith in Allah is just as much faith as my sincere faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. One will get you to heaven. One will not. So it's mm -hmm. not the kind of faith that saves you. It's the object of faith. And when faith meets the right object, the result is eternal life. Now, unfortunately, uh, ever since the Reformation and uh, you know, neo-Calvinism, uh, people have been taught mistakenly that it's not enough just to believe the gospel. You got to do it the right way. Right. You have to <clears throat> believe the gospel and pledge and promise and commit and surrender and turn from all your sins and forsake all your evil ways and you know put Jesus on the throne of your life and you got to do a host of other things that they all pack all into faith they they mm -hmm. redefine faith instead of just confidence or assurance they make faith out to be some type of something you bring to the table therefore if a believer uh, isn't living for Christ and is maybe backslidden and living a sinful life well, they say, well, he had spurious faith. He had the wrong kind of faith. He might have believed the gospel, but he didn't do it the right way. Therefore, he's not saved. So that's that's the problem with the pluralist gospel is they make it all about the sincerity of faith. But sincerity isn't the issue. As I said, all faith is sincere. I mean, you could lie. People might say, oh, I believe such and such. And they know inside they don't really believe it. They're just saying it for some ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. So certainly people can lie about it. But, you know, you know whether you believe something or not. And if you believe it, by definition, it's sincere or, you know, you wouldn't believe it. So sincerity isn't the issue. And that's the problem with pluralism. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. And uh, people can and do believe many things in life quite sincerely, but yeah. those things will not get them to heaven. Uh, big ol' amen on that one. So I want to, um, I guess, piggyback off of that because the denying of uh, the deity of Jesus, it that kind of fits in there a little bit just because if Christ isn't the only way, right, then someone will say, well, is he really truly God, though? Like, is Jesus the only way? So there's a lot of people, and on this week's RLE that I did, um, which we're pre-recording, so um, I have someone who's kind of helping me out a little bit behind the scenes doing research, and one of them was, is there a Jesus? And then even, like, questioning the reality of Christ. And then also people who are professing and when I mean Christians, they're not. They just profess faith, kind of like Justin Bieber. I used him. Uh, Matthew McConaughey. Um, I'm Chris Pratt. I, I I don't really why people see the fascination with that guy. If he was so holy, he would have been blacklisted from Hollywood years ago. That's just my humble opinion. So you have all of these people listening to a Joe Rogan, you know. So and I did it. I merged the two together on purpose because there's so many people, even within Christendom, who they themselves out of their own mouths also deny the deity of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, there's pastors out there. I put them on the snippet there that are like, well, it can't be the Trinity. He can't be man and God. So how, how would you explain that? The deity of Jesus? Yeah. So first of all, we have to differentiate between a believer who subsequent to getting saved by faith alone gets led astray into false doctrines and believes things that are not true. So uh, it's, it's certainly possible that someone might be a believer today, but they've been deceived and down the road came, you know, to deny certain doctrinal, you know, fundamentals. Uh, that's true of people that get swept up in cults or, you know, those types of things. So thankfully, our eternal destiny is not contingent upon how well we finish it's contingent upon the promise of Jesus Christ who said, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. So when we talk about this issue about the deity of Christ, we're talking about at that moment of faith, at that precise moment when a person passes from death to life, John 5, 24, and becomes born again, what precisely must they believe at that point? And uh, I don't like to speak in terms of you know, the deity of Christ because that's a doctrinal term. But you have to know who Jesus is. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, faith is belief in the Jesus of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that's a unique person. That's, there's only one person with the authority to give life to somebody, to forgive sin. And that's the person who took your penalty on the cross, paid it in full, defeated death, hell, and the grave by his blood purchasing life that he can then turn around as the risen Savior and offer to anyone who wants it if they'll simply receive it from him by faith. It's a free gift. It's a come one, come all. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you uh, rest. In fact, we use that verse in a promotional video that we just produced or had someone produce for us that talks about the urgency of the hour, and it connects my teaching on the spirit of the Antichrist with our passion for the gospel, which is I think it's very well done. It's a three-minute promotional video. Folks can check that out at our website. But uh, I think you might... actually see it on the intro of this. So I know you're yeah. uploading the podcast beforehand. So, but yeah. yeah, so for those watching the video 
when this airs in May, it'll be on there. So yeah, if you're listening yeah, to the podcast awesome. form of this at Not By Works, take the time to go to Life Clips uh, on Rumble and uh, and, li- and watch the video because uh, it's a mm-hmm. powerful, powerful promo. So at that moment, uh, a person of, of conversion, a person has to understand that this is a risen Savior, that this is God himself providing redemption in the same way that, you know, Abraham said to Isaac, God will provide a lamb or, you know, uh, the same way that John the Baptist announced Jesus uh, arrival with behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this isn't just Joe Blow, the prophet. This isn't Muhammad or some other, Mm -hmm. you know, famous teacher who says, hey, you know, David Koresh or whoever, you know, follow me and I'll get you in. No, no, this is somebody unique. So I don't, like I said, obviously, uh, yeah, I don't think it requires a fully developed, you know, uh, doc, you know, well-documented Christology or, you know, the understanding of all of the ins and outs of the Trinity and the deity of Christ. Those are things that come over time as you begin to study God's word. But you do have to know who Jesus is. And he's not just some guy like you and me. He is the son of God. Uh, and, and, and if you don't believe that, you're believing in the wrong Jesus. So let me just ask you this then, because if let's just say someone and none of us know anyone's heart. Right. So let's just say someone, you know, gets saved. I would assume that they would have to be saved knowing that Jesus is the son of God. So help me. I'm a little confused with that, because if I got saved, but I didn't believe Jesus was the son of God, I, I would be confused. No, you, that's what I just said. You can't be okay. saved. So they're not. Right. So in, in my book, chapter three mm-hmm. of getting the gospel wrong, uh, we talk about establishing the standard. What is the gospel? And if you if you go down there into the section entitled the content of saving faith, uh, I list right there, you know, the, the, the who Jesus is. And, and I give all the scriptural evidence uh, for it. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you have to believe that you're placing your faith in the Christ who died in my place and rose again. That makes him God. That's Mm -hmm. the the number one sign. Remember John's gospel, which was written specifically to tell people how to have eternal life. That's the purpose Mm -hmm. statement of John. And it has all these signs in it. The climactic sign, of course, is the resurrection, which proves that Jesus is God. John's the one who records Jesus saying in John 10, I and my father are one. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Um, and, you know, in this famous, uh, you know, discussion uh, with uh, uh, in John chapter 11 uh, mm-hmm. with Martha, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And what did she say to him? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, I, I you know believe that uh, you have to understand at the moment of conversion that Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose again for your sins. That does not mean you're going to understand all the intricacies of the Trinity and the hypostatic union and all of these mm-hmm. deeper doctrinal truths. Uh, Good night. A lot of pastors today can't accurately de- define the Trinity. It's one of the most one of the most difficult theological uh, standards of orthodoxy to define mm-hmm. uh, because it's it's a biblical antinomy. It defies our logic. How can you be three but one? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so we certainly wouldn't expect that of a of a person who's 
coming to faith in Christ. It's simple. You can The gospel is so simple, the child can understand it, and you can state it in 10 words or less. Mm. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Um, each one of, one of those words has meaning. Who is Christ? As Jesus just said uh, to Martha, he is the Son of God. Mm-hmm. So... Right. I got you. So that's what I guess I was just confused on that, because that's what you're saying. Like someone can come to faith in Christ, but not know all those little yeah. tidbits of information. Yeah. And that's I the only you. way yeah. they that's the only way they can come to faith in Christ. If you don't right. understand Jesus is the son of God, then you're believing in a different Jesus. But right. also don't forget, I mentioned that, you know, fast forward 20 years after someone gets saved, they might get out of the word of God, not be fellowshipping in a Bible teaching church, not be feeding the spirit and, and studying the word of God. And therefore they're susceptible to false doctrines. First thing you know, they've joined the Jehovah's witnesses. doesn't mean they lose their salvation, but if you were to ask them at that point, you know, Hey, do you believe Jesus is the son of God? They'd say no, because they've mm-hmm. been deceived by false teaching. And by the way, Peter said the same thing, you know, mm-hmm. aren't you, you know, with that Jesus guy? And he said, no, I don't even know who he is. In fact, he cursed him. So certainly we understand believers can, you know, fall away, you know, not just for a season. They can fall away their whole lives. That's why Paul said in Second uh, Timothy 2.12 that even if we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. In other words, once you're born again, um, that's Second Timothy 2.13. Sorry, I was off by one verse. Mm-hmm. But once you're born again, you become part of the family of God. Your spiritual DNA is changed. Mm-hmm. And Thankfully, even if subsequent to that, we do things that are very offensive to the family of God and to God our Father, he's not going to say, well, forget you. I'm taking my salvation away from you. He doesn't work right. that way. Yeah, absolutely not, because I wouldn't be having a conversation with you today if that was the case. Amen. And even 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 15, 1 through 4, is the simplicity of the gospel. Yeah. Um, as well, that kind of outlines that in perfect form, if you want my honest opinion. Oh, yeah. I think there's no clearer way. It doesn't add anything either. It's just so mm-hmm. simple. Yeah. You know? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, mm-hmm. was buried and rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And Amen. that's that's the essence of the gospel right there. Agreed. So let's get on the fun one. Shall we get on the fun one here, JB? How about prosperity? And oh, I'll yeah. tell you this much. Uh, those teachers have really tainted every single word. So sometimes I use the word favor and then I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say favor. But then I'm like, you know what? Favor's in the Bible. But they seem to take these precious words that are in the Bible. Um, You know, I want to be blessed and highly favored. Um, So I want that. I want the goodness of God, right? Does that mean I want a mansion and um, a Rolls Royce? Well, those cars are ugly, but uh, let's say a Mercedes. No, that's not my intention of wanting favor. Um, so how would you, what do you think of the prosperity gospel, Jamie? Let's hear it, shall we? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, We happen to have a chapter on the prosperity gospel (laughs) in getting the gospel wrong. So it's another example of a very prevalent false gospel today that, first of all, they get it wrong on the front end by suggesting Mm -hmm. that the way a person gets saved is by giving something to the Lord. And then in return, not only will he give you eternal life, but he's going to give you all of these earthly blessings. And uh, it's, you know, the health, wealth, and prosperity. So they believe that uh, all sicknesses of the devil, that if you're sick, it's just you don't have enough faith. Everybody's supposed to be healed, which is crazy because scripture, you know, clearly uh, gives several examples of people that weren't healed, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, 
you know, why didn't Paul just heal Timothy of his stomach ache instead of telling him to take a little wine? Or why, why did Paul have a, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a thorn in the flesh, you know, which many people believe was probably physical. So mm. uh, God allows uh, certain inequities of life to come our way, to test our faith, to strengthen our faith, to teach us to trust in him. Mm -hmm. uh, life is not a bed of roses. Jesus plainly mm -hmm. said, in this world, you will have trouble. Yeah. Uh, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So um, I, I think the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is, uh, th there are some people in it that I think really love the Lord and they're not shysters, but it more than any other category seems to attract the, the, the fakes, the ones who are just there to make a buck, you know, the Benny Hens, the Bob Tiltons, uh, you know, that bunch. And, and because it's an appealing message. I mean, who wouldn't want, as you said, a new car or a million dollars or, you know, who, who wouldn't want all these wonderful blessings. And I've actually been in, in, in all of my uh, travels and, and conferences and uh, for a number of years, I supplemented my ministry income by serving as a consultant for a large Bible software company. And it, that had me in front of a, all kinds of audiences oh, that I would not hmm. normally have resonated with. And I've seen it. I've seen pastors, you know, stand up in the pulpit and begging people to come forward and lay money at the altar. And I've seen people come up and there was thousands of dollars, fives, tens, twenties, even hundred dollar bills littering the stairs going up to the altar as people were giving their money on the promise of a, of a tenfold return. And they walk out of there and, uh, you know, they're a hundred dollars poorer and they think they're going to get a thousand dollars the next day. And uh, God doesn't operate that way. And, and people that espouse the prosperity gospel, they don't understand grace. And in fact, we could say that really ultimately all false gospels uh, misunderstand grace. But grace, Kim, means free. Mm -hmm. If it's not free, it's not grace. If it's mm -hmm. not grace, it's not free. Um, you know, Paul said in Romans 4 or 5, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is what is accredited as righteous. Uh, and, and in Romans uh, 11, by the way, verse 6 Paul says, and if it's by grace, then it's no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So the minute we enter into this sort of bilateral quid pro quo with God and say, I'll give you this, and in exchange, you give me that, mm -hmm. that is not grace. That right. becomes a work. And grace is free. And I always like to emphasize that because I've learned that in our culture today, the evangelical culture, largely due to the Calvinistic influence, people don't like, they, they chafe at the concept that it's free. But let me, let, me, let me just be as blunt as I possibly can to our listeners and our viewers, Kim. Your uh, hope of obtaining eternal life costs you absolutely nothing. It is completely free. You do not have to spend a dime. You don't have to do a thing other than receive the gift. It is absolutely 100% free. And that's not my words. That's the Bible's words. Paul said in Romans 3.24, we are justified freely by his grace. In Romans 5, uh, you know, he talks about the free gift of salvation. Verse 15, the free gift is not like the offense. Um, the free gift comes 
uh, by Christ and resulted in justification. Uh, Revelation chapter 22 says, Whosoever will, let him come drink of the water of life freely. And, you know, the pride of, of men and women is so strong that it, it convinces us falsely that we cannot get something as valuable as eternal life for nothing. But I'm here to tell you, you can get it for nothing. See, Jesus paid it all. We, 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 didn't, we don't have to pay anything. If we could somehow pay for it, Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. Correct. Uh, and he didn't shed his blood to pay for 99% of it. He paid for 100% of it. So it's amazing to me how many churches will, will teach uh, either subtly or in some cases blatantly a works-based gospel according to which they're calling on people to do something, give up something, mm -hmm. promise something, pledge something. And then the whole time in the background, the choir is singing, Jesus paid it all. Mm -hmm. And there's just this <laughs> disconnect, you know. It's That's like we think funny. Jesus paid most of it. Right. Uh, we just don't get it. So it's absolutely free, Kim. And the prosperity gospel just does not understand grace because they mm -hmm. think of God retributively, that it's a quid pro quo. That was pretty funny. Um, when Jesus paid it all, that is true. Um, so the gospel of, um, there's two more. Do you got a couple of minutes to finish I'm the good. last two? Okay. Absolutely. So I don't know which one I want to choose. How about the no hell, the Rob Bell doctrine, as I call it? Yeah. That there is no eternal. Uh, I'm not going to go there on this podcast. Never mind. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Because there is a very well-known teacher out there who also believes in annihilation, and which I don't agree with. Where oh. you're in hell for X amount of time and then you're annihilated. So what's the point? I'm going to be honest. Let me be honest. If I knew that hell was not eternal, and I know this is a premiere, but let me get a comment. If I know or you know that hell is not eternal, my flesh nature is going to be like... <laughs> Okay, so I'll suffer for a little bit, and then I'll be annihilated, and I'm done. Yeah. So I'm just going to be honest. Like, why would I not want to sin if I have to suffer, say, for a thousand years? Yeah, I mean, there's that, but uh, you know, also <laughs> there's the Bible. And I mean, right. with all due respect, I really do try not to be, you know, cutting and you know, un un unnecessarily sarcastic toward people. But to me, anyone who t t claims that the Bible does not teach hell is reading a different Bible. It could Absolutely. not be more clear. And, you know, you get, and, and the, by the way, there's, there are two aspects of this false teaching mm -hmm. about hell that need to be addressed here. Let's deal with the first one, which is what you brought up, the Rob Bells of the world that, that, that believe in annihilationism. In other words, the eternal dwelling place of the unredeemed is just cease to exist, mm -hmm. not punishment. Uh, but that's not at all what God's word says. Uh, he's, you know, in Revelation chapter 20, all those who are not found in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. How does he describe the lake of fire? It's a place where people are tormented day and night forever and ever. And that's not rocket science. I mean, this isn't something where you got to know the Greek and the grammar and the syntax. You know, tormented day and night forever and ever in Greek means tormented day and night forever and ever. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I just don't understand how people don't see that. And, right. you know, G uh, Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 12, or at least in Luke's account of it, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more than they can do. I will t tell you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Now, 
why would that carry any weight whatsoever if hell was just cease to be conscious mm-hmm. and cease to exist? It's the fact that it is a lake of fire. Jesus, you know, tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus, which I believe is a literal account, not a parable, Mm, Uh, because in parables, he doesn't usually give names to the people involved. Mm -hmm. And that rich man was in torment. He was begging for just, you know, the tip of his tongue to find Mm -hmm. uh, relief. And so uh, there's no question that hell is real. Uh, So those people that are suggesting that are just blatantly uh, preaching a false gospel. But there's another side of that, and this comes from more the Calvinist influence, because the Calvinist view out there, which in my book I call the performance gospel, which is just a broad category for anybody that thinks you've got to bring something to the table if you want to get in. You can't get something as valuable as eternal life for nothing. You know, you got you to pony up. You know, it's a bilateral contract. And for Calvinists, that means that uh, it's called lordship salvation. Um, John MacArthur's the biggest proponent of that. Um, and he, in his book, The Gospel According to Jesus, he talks about all the things that he believes are part of faith, that in believing the gospel, that implies, he says, a, a total surrender, a, a, a commitment and pledge to God that you will forsake all of your sins, that you'll make him the Lord of your life and promise to obey him, all of these sort of two-way, bring-something-to-the-table concepts. So with that background, you will hear people say, Kim, well, you know, Anybody out there that tells you hell is just about, I mean, uh, salvation is just about fire insurance, you know, they're just preaching cheap grace. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you read the Bible, that's exactly what eternal salvation is, mm-hmm. fire insurance. It's, it's, you know, there is a penalty for sin, and that penalty isn't loneliness, depression, discouragement, discontentment, lack of purpose in life, not finding your best life now. That penalty is an eternal life in a place of torment called hell. So yes, Jesus didn't go to the, the cross to make you happy, healthy, and fatter, and better, and you know more content now. He went to the cross to save you from a place of torment where the wrath of God will abide on you forever and ever. So you're a child of wrath. Now God's done everything he can to you know keep you from going there. He sent his son to die in your place on the cross. His son rose from the dead, and he's now offering freely to all the gift of eternal life. Uh, But if you don't receive it, then you have nobody to blame but yourself, Uh, and it will be a literal place of torment. When I got saved as a six-year-old, it was because I heard a a, a hellfire and brimstone message from a pastor on a Sunday night, uh, back when churches still had Sunday night services. (laughs) And uh, I went home that night just, you know, under great conviction— from the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say the Holy Spirit's going to do? He's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and what? Judgment. Mm-hmm. That judgment is hell. Yeah. And I was convicted and didn't want to go to hell. And I knew that hell was real, and Jesus paid my price. And so as a young boy, um, when my uh, dad came in that night to say my bedtime prayers, I, in some form or fashion, expressed my uh, fear and concern over my sin and where it was going to lead me. And I wanted salvation. And my dad reiterated the simple gospel message, and I trusted in Christ for salvation right there. So, uh, you know, I I react very strongly, as you can probably tell, when people (laughs) act like hell is not fire insurance. I mean, heaven is not, salvation is not fire insurance. That's exactly what salvation is. Uh, But unfortunately, many uh, people of the Calvinist persuasion think salvation is about a 
uh, discipleship. It's about following Christ. And it's about, you know, are you going to make him Lord of your life? And, and it's, it's all, it's all that. No, it's a rescue. And it's fundamentally the word salvation, which is the, the Greek word, uh, sozo means to rescue or deliver. And when it mm-hmm. comes to eternal salvation, it's rescuing and delivering us from an eternal negative experience in hell called, uh, you know, being tormented in the lake of fire. So when the Bible talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth, that also comes under a lot of scrutiny because they say that that's not literal. I don't know how else to take weeping and gnashing of teeth if that's not literal. Yeah, so that comes from um, three passages in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 8, Matthew 22, and Matthew 25. When Jesus, speaking to Israel and speaking about Israel, is saying to them, look, if you don't believe in me, then you're going to be left out of the kingdom in the dark. It's the phrase outer darkness. It just literally means outside in the dark. And he's using kingdom language there and the, and the marriage banquet of, uh, that was common in English, I mean, in the Jewish uh, culture. And it was typically held at night, if you remember Jesus' parable about the ten virgins and the lamps and the light. And so basically he's saying, when this kingdom comes and we have the kickoff party, you're going to be left outside the gates looking in, in the dark, not participating in this wonderful celebration. You're not going to get in. So it is, you know, and, and, and for that, at that time, those unbelieving Jews will be experiencing tremendous regret and remorse. That's the, the metaphor, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm-hmm. So because we know, as we compare Scripture with Scripture, that anyone who does not get into the kingdom when it comes by definition, is an unbeliever because all Mm -hmm. believers enter the kingdom. Therefore, that weeping and gnashing of teeth and outer darkness really become a metaphor for hell. Mm -hmm. Now, again, contextually, it's talking about the nation of Israel not getting into the kingdom, but ultimately it's, it's talking about an eternal destiny in hell. So yeah, weeping and gnashing of teeth is a, is a expression of severe remorse and regret. Um, so, I mean, that's what I always thought as well. But um, so let's shift on to the, the last one that I want to talk about, because we're living in a day and age where um, people have gone woke, especially in churches. And I can list a gambit of names right now that's just popping in my head uh, very quickly. So as people are aware, I used to go to Passion City Church in Atlanta. Um, me personally, I'm speaking for Kim, not JB. I am not a Louis Giglio fan in any way, shape or form. I feel that he has gone off the rails. Uh, Ben Stewart is an associate pastor, and now he pastors his own church in Washington, D.C. He, too, has gone off the rails when it comes to social justice. Now, I'm not saying that I don't know anyone's heart. Um, I mean, a lot of red flags in what they preach anyway. But um, I remember when uh, Louis and Lecrae, and I forgot who else was on the stage. I feel like it was Ben Stewart. They had a little kumbaya gathering um, after the George Floyd incident. And they were at Passions. Maybe they were in D.C. Anyway, it was like a roundtable discussion. And, of course, you know, Louis said that, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember his exact words, but me and you, JB, and them, is they're white. You know, we're just the shame of society. We're the stain. And um, that we've been blessed and um, things of that nature. So, And he said things when I was there as well when it comes to social justice and things. But I didn't have that terminology when I went to the church. Because it wasn't like this powder keg that we live in today. 
Um, but there's many, many people where when you walk into the church, there's zero gospel. They're just telling you how the white man stinks and we need to revamp everything revamp the gospel. Jesus only came kind of like the, he gets us ads, right? Jesus was a refugee. He only came uh, to love us and to accept us, whether it be trans or LGBTQ. So I feel like this social justice used to be just a racial thing, but now it's kind of broadened its wings, so to speak, and it's encompassing so much. What are your thoughts on the social? Yeah. I mean, let's not forget what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan's primary goal is to blind men's hearts to the gospel. Mm -hmm. And he does that in a variety of ways. And so one way is to get people's eyes off of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the gospel, and onto these peripheral uh, issues that have no place in the church, uh, that are not biblical. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's wokeism. And frankly, it's why I believe 95% of the church today in these great last days of deception is apostate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I can't prove that. I'm not, you know, I don't have some scientific, you know, formula or evidence, but my, my dead reckoning mm-hmm. as I travel, travel the country and interact with people and uh, just see the signs of the times is that we're talking 95% of the church is apostate. Agreed. And so, uh, you know, there's always a remnant. And that remnant is going to proclaim clearly and loudly the the clear, accurate and urgent gospel. But sadly, uh, we're seeing more and more evangelical leaders uh, go woke. And by the way, in my Tuesday night prophecy night series, for those who I know a lot of your audience may not have, uh, you know, jumped on board the NBW Ministries, uh, uh, you know, uh, bandwagon, so to speak yet. But I did a few weeks ago talk about one of the signs of the times is apostasy. And I called out a few evangelical leaders, just as I do in the book, Getting the Gospel Wrong, uh, who are out there, uh, you know, promoting the woke agenda. And, uh, you know, we need more Christians who are willing, rather than agreeing to get, a, you know, agreeing to disagree, we need Christians mm. who are willing to disagree to agree. And that, that's the biblical doctrine of separation. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, one big name I know, um, I believe, it's a, is it Tim Geller? I think he's... And David Platt has kind of fallen off the wagon too. Tim Keller or Tim Keller, Gale. Keller, right? Yeah. Tim Keller, right? I think yeah. he's tall, gray-haired guy. Oh yeah, yeah. He's a yeah. he's like a seventy-eight point Calvinist. I mean, he's just like mm. he makes Calvinists look like Arminians, but uh, uh, Tim Keller does. But yeah. uh, uh, and I haven't you know followed him lately in terms of the woke stuff. But uh, yeah, not a big fan of either of, of David Platt. I've worked with David Platt, shared the platform mm-hmm. with him one time. But he wasn't um, always like that, though. Yeah. JB. Well, he was always a Calvinist. So. Oh, uh, David Platt's a Calvinist too. Oh, big time. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 but he was never woke. He just all yeah. of a sudden I don't no, know no. what happened. He yeah. Like after the whole Trump incident, I think he kind of was like, "Oh, people don't yeah. like that." I had him in the church, and he, I don't know. From that, he just yeah. kind of changed. Well, he was easily deceived, you know, for mm. sure, the whole Trump Trump thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I just encourage folks to, to check out the book. It's not a, it's not a light read, you know. It's uh, uh, just like my Spirit of the Antichrist books are kind of, you know, heavy in the sense of mm. dealing with some pretty heavy topics. Mm. The gospel, getting the gospel wrong is uh, maybe not so much a disturbing topic the way the Spirit of the Antichrist books are, but it's heavy because it, you know, I wanted to nail this down. And so it's uh, it's got a lot of footnotes, a lot of exegesis, a lot of connecting the dots of Scripture. But hopefully it's clear enough uh, at the end of the day that, you know, people understand that gospel is, is pretty simple. And these broadly speaking, these six prevalent, you know, gospel models that are so wrong, uh, 
you can pretty much, you know, if you are aware of them, once you know the truth, you know the real gospel, the standard, then as you're listening and watching things unfold in the church at large, you begin to go, oh, I see, that's that falls into that category, that falls into that category, mm -hmm. and you can be more discerning. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, th I thank you for letting me sound the alarm on this subject. Mm -hmm. It's even though I talk a lot about Bible prophecy, especially the last few years, mm -hmm. um, I'm never far in my heart from my, my deepest passion, which is the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel. And you know me too. I mean, not that I don't believe in the new world order, but I think, you know, the first half is a spiritual deception. But on a side note, you did notice, right, in the back? See your mug? Yeah, there it is. And then the I've end. got your books there too. So the just NBW so you know. The mug, yes. yeah. Our, I got our... it front and center. Our mugs are uh -oh. not as clever. Oh, you froze as... there for a minute. Uh, oh, am I back on? Yeah, you're good. Yeah, my our mugs there are not uh, as clever as some of your mugs in your vast collection, but at least you know NBW. It's a it's a discussion starter. People yeah. say, "What is NBW?" Like I wear NBW shirts and sweatshirts and all kinds of stuff all the time, coats. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, if people say, "What's NBW?" You can share the gospel. You can say it's not Absolutely. by works of righteousness which we've done, but according mm -hmm. to His mercy, He saved us. So yeah, thanks for. Uh, I like the mug though, and yeah. a lot of people like when I do get mugs, it's not front and back, and I like the front and back because sometimes I have to change the handles for all these mugs to fit. So there I was like, go. "Oh, it's on the back too," and it's a nice mug. Yeah, it's we, well, we only the best for only the best life clips. That's what for, I say. Only the best for this Florida girl. <laughs> for the I love for it. The Floridian. I know yeah, it's so, an ambidextrous mug. You can do left or right. Absolutely, and I love it. But I got your books, and I've got uh, called uh, Carl. I say I can't every time I want to say his name. I'm so New Yorkish when I say it. Sandra's laughing. Carl. It's the R because I want to say Carl. Carl. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so I have it next to his book as well, uh, Game Good. of Gods, which is a great book. Um, and I've had a lot of people ask, I don't know if you got a big push the last time you were here, but I've had people ask outside of just a normal podcast. Um, they didn't know about you until you were on here, uh, where to get the books and everything. So I don't know if anyone ordered anything. I know you said you would sign, but guys, oh, yeah. go pick no, up we, his books. They're phenomenal. We always get some great traffic after we're on Life Clips. And that's what I love about mm -hmm. what you're doing. You're reaching a wonderful audience. And uh, I, I love the cross-pollinization. That's why we do interviews, you know, all, all different kinds of interviews. But yeah, every time we're on with you, Kim, we get some traffic. And, uh, you know, mostly the last year I've, I've spent since the books came out uh, promoting the urgency of the hour in terms of mm -hmm. the soon coming of our Lord. Uh, yeah. But I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, to really promote, you know, mm -hmm. the gospel and the clarity of it. And uh, yeah. I hope folks will check it out. They will. Now, your uh, part, well, I don't want to call it, it's not volume three because it's it's named different, but doesn't that come out in the fall? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so uh, mm -hmm. my next book I'm, I'm working on, we've already got a mock-up of the cover. Uh, now, if I can just put the stuff that goes between the covers together, mm. I'll be in good shape. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, I'm really excited about it. It's called The Spirit of the False Prophet hacking and tracking humanity, uh, mm. not strictly speaking a volume three, but, but really the next installment in this same uh, treatment of current events and all that's happening to set the stage for the reign of the Antichrist and his second in command, the false prophet. So yeah, pray for us mm. as we Absolutely. finish that up. Hopefully it'll be out by October. You know, we'll see. That's the goal. Mm. Okay, so we're going to end it, but I want you to end it, and then I'll kind of end it after you with my little saying that I always do. But I always try to bring in the gospel, and then if you want to close this out in prayer, and then once that's done, then I'm going to do my schnazzy little ending, and then we'll all say goodbye. 
You bet. So yeah, we, we've certainly uh, shared the gospel throughout the program tonight. It was all about the gospel, but the gospel is that uh, everyone's, the, the gospel in, involves bad news and good news, right? The bad news is something about you. The good news is something about God. The bad news is you're a sinner and that sinful condition uh, means that you spend eternity separated from a holy God in hell, as we've talked about. Uh, but the good news is God doesn't want you to do that. And so he's made a way of escape. He's made uh, he, he solved a predicament by paying a debt that he didn't owe because we owed a debt we could never pay. And that is he sent his son and our savior, Jesus Christ, to the earth to die on the cross for our sins. He rose again the third day defeating death, hell, and the grave, and now offers freely to all the gift of eternal life if you'll simply trust him and him alone for it. So I implore all of our listeners and viewers, uh, if you've not trusted in Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. And um, mm. I'll lead us in prayer, if I may. Absolutely. Father, thank you so much for just your goodness, your grace, uh, the incredible, amazing grace that is represented at Calvary. And Lord, uh, thank you for Kim and all that she's doing in her ministry with uh, Life Clips and uh, just getting this message out, the glorious, matchless, wonderful grace uh, of our incredible God and your incredible Son, our Savior. And Lord, we pray that uh, the Holy Spirit would just really get a hold of anyone who might come across this podcast and just convict them uh, so that they can't even sleep. They can't do anything until they recognize they need a Savior and Jesus is that Savior and they trust in him. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. So listen, I'm at a bit of an angle this week. I'm trying to work out my camera and it, I just felt like I was awful episode, but that's what it is. It's my ego. Um, so until next time, I will see everyone here, there, or in the air. Bye guys. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you enjoyed the content, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If you haven't already. Also head on over to our website, lifeclipspodcast.com to find out more information. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, send us an email at questions at lifeclipspodcast.com. And as I always end it, I will see you here, there, or in the air. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus.